Well, good morning. I'm the older version of Drew. Good to see everybody this morning. Hope you had a good night's rest. I'm glad we can be together this morning. One of the things that happens, you know, when you have <clears throat> day services in the gospel meeting is that as the, as the week goes on, it seems like the time gets shorter between the evening session and the morning session, doesn't it? I, uh, I was on a lectureship once, and one of the fellow speakers said, you know, when you... When you come back for the morning session, when you get up in the morning and you put your socks on and they're still warm, you didn't sleep long enough. <clears throat> and uh, that may be uh, where, where we get to with that. Sure is good to see all of you and thank you for being here on this uh, much more beautiful morning than we had yesterday. And yet I was so thankful yesterday for all who came. We had such a good crowd and this morning as well. Glad that we can study the Bible together a little bit. Today I need you to open in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. <clears throat> this little tiny book of Philemon that we want to spend some time with this morning. And while yesterday we talked about James, the brother of Jesus, this morning we're going to talk about three characters. We'll talk about Paul and Philemon and a young runaway slave named Onesimus. And so we'll talk about the three of them <clears throat> this morning in our time together. You know, in the New Testament there is this new form of revelation called epistles or, or letters. Most of them, of course, were to churches. We understand that. Corinth, Ephesus, Colossae, so most were to churches, but there were some that were in, to individuals, like Timothy, and to, and to Titus, and in this case, to Philemon. When you read these letters, you kind of get the feeling that you are looking over Paul's shoulder, and you're kind of, you're reading somebody else's mail, and uh, we've probably all done that from time to time, maybe a little bit, haven't we? I mean, we would all know that it's not it's not legal to open somebody else's mail and read it, so we never would do that. But if you're kind of walking by a table and there's something sitting there, it's kind of easy to let your eyes go down there and take a little glance at that, isn't it? I mean, if <clears throat> don't raise your hand here, but if you've ever done that, if you've ever done that, just smile. Yeah, see, you all look happier than you have in years, right there. We just uh, most everybody at some point in time has done that. In the Bible, there are five of these little one-chapter books, and they're really just postcards. They're just kind of tweets from heaven. And so in the New Testament, of course, you've got Philemon, and then you've got Second John and Third John and Jude, and then there is one little one-chapter book in the Old Testament. Anybody know what it is? Anybody remember? Preachers can't play this game. No. <clears throat> anybody, else, anybody else remember? It's the little book of Obadiah, and Obadiah is a very interesting little book in the Minor Prophets. When you take all five of those books and put them together, they only contain a total of just 98 verses. And the material is extraordinarily rich, and yet it is often, it is often some of the least read material in Scripture. Let me give you a little, a little bit of background about Philemon. When, uh, when the little letter of Philemon was being debated in regard to the canonicity and whether or not it belonged in the New Testament, the issue of authenticity that is, whether or not the Apostle Paul actually wrote it, was never debated at all. That wasn't the issue. The issue that was debated was, does a little piece of private communication regarding the personal matter of a runaway slave really belong in the New Testament? And that was the issue that was debated when it was trying to decide whether or not this belonged in the New Testament canon. The answer to that question, by the way, is absolutely. Absolutely, yes, it does. And here's why. Because you can talk about grace and mercy and forgiveness and redemption and righteousness. You can talk about all of those things. But the book of Philemon is a practical, where the rubber of faith meets the road of reality, illustration of those principles. And it teaches us that Christians define relationships on grounds completely foreign to the world. Let me say that again. Christians define relationships on grounds completely foreign to the world. <clears throat> and so, to most it would seem that Philemon is a letter written by a Jewish scholar to a Gentile businessman, sending greetings from a young man of a mixed racial background about a pagan slave. And when you think about it, if you put those individuals in a room in the first century, you would have expected a war to break out. And yet, when you read the book of Philemon... The Jew is giving thanks for the Gentile, and the slave is being called the Jew's son and the Gentile's brother. And I will tell you that in the first century world, none of that was without cost. 
And so when we're talking about profiles and good works, I will tell you that Paul and Philemon and Onesimus were all asked to do, in this little book, to do the right thing. But the right thing, I would tell you, is not what any of them initially would have wanted to do. They would have all wanted to do something very different than what they were asked to do. And so, with that background, let's read this little book together. You have your Bible? Let's read, beginning in Philemon, and verse number 1. Here's the reading. Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, and to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayer, as I hear of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, my brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command or order you to do what is fitting, yet for love's sake I appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now was profitable both to you and me. I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But, without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this very reason, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, although I don't mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit, and amen. Let's stop right there. Well, that's a wonderful little book. I wonder how long it's been since most of us have have actually read that. Let me tell you a a couple of preliminary matters here to kind of lay a little bit of background before we make the application that we want to, to make this morning. Let's just ask three very simple questions that will give us some background. Where was Paul when he writes this? Where was Paul? Well, from the references, obviously, he's in prison. He talks about himself that way. And so this is one of Paul's prison epistles. His first imprisonment was in Rome. And here's how the book of Acts ends. It ends with this narrative from Luke. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, which is an interesting point to add there, isn't it? So clearly Paul in this first imprisonment is enjoying a good measure of freedom. He wrote prolifically, as you well know, while he was in prison. He used that time well. He wrote letters, wrote letters to churches and to individuals. And one of those letters was a letter to the church at Colossae. And here's how that book begins to end in chapter 4, beginning verse 7. He says to the brethren Colossae, And Colossae, of course, is where Philemon lives. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts, and, listen to him, with him, Onesimus, 
our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. So we learn an awful lot in those two little passages. In particular here, what we learn is that Paul, when he sends these two men to Colossae, he sends really two letters. One that we know as the book of Colossians. And the other was this little note carried by Onesimus to Philemon that we know as this little letter of Philemon. And that letter was designed to deal with a personal relationship that needed mending. So Paul sends Tychicus and he sends Onesimus. And now they are on their way to Colossae. And you can imagine that Onesimus is wishing that Tychicus would not walk so fast. Because the last thing Philemon ever wanted to see was the city limits of Colossae again. But here they go, sent by Paul. And he's sending them with the letter to the church in Colossae, but also this letter to Philemon. And so that begs the question, well, who was Philemon? Well, Philemon was a Christian, evidently a Christian of some physical means. He evidently had some monetary resources, and we know that for a variety of reasons. He owned a house, and the house was large enough for the church to meet in his house, according to what Paul wrote to Colossians. And it was a house with a guest room because he tells him, look, I want you to get the guest room ready because I'm, I'm coming to see you. And he owned slaves. And so Philemon <coughs> owned slaves. And evidently, he owned enough slaves that one of them could run away without upsetting the affairs of the household too terribly much. And the one slave that ran away was a slave by the name of Onesimus. So Paul's in Roman prison, sends a letter to Colossae to the church, to his friend Philemon, and is sending Onesimus, the runaway slave, back. So the third question, of course, then is, well, who was Onesimus? Well, Onesimus was a slave who ran away. And evidently, he was not a very good slave because formerly he was useless to you. So evidently, he wasn't a very good slave. But now he's become useful both to me and to you. And you've heard it in Bible classes or sermons, I know, that there's a play on his name here. That Onesimus means useful. And Paul makes a play on his name and says, look, he didn't live up to his name. We all know that. He was useless, but now he is useful to me and to you. I want you to think about Onesimus running away as a runaway slave. I would imagine that he formulated a plan, and probably that took some time, and this probably all gained shape in his mind. But the first question, of course, is where are you going to go? I mean, if you're a runaway slave, where are you going to go to escape the professional slave hunters who would be sent to track you down? And that is exactly what would have happened. Professional slave hunters would have been hired and sent to find this slave. And when a runaway slave was found, it was not a good thing for the slave. Uh, There could be a variety of things that would happen. At the very least, the very least thing that would happen is that he would be branded on his forehead with the letter F for fugitivus, fugitive. And so this was a very public way of saying that you could never trust this slave again. But at the worst, at the other end of the spectrum, some terrible things could happen to him. Usually he would at least be beaten, and beaten publicly as a message to other slaves. This is what happens if you, if you run away. Sometimes slaves were disfigured. Their facial features would be disfigured. And again, this was a way to say to everybody, this slave ran away this is what happens if you run away. But sometimes, at the very worst, slaves will be crucified. Have you ever seen the movie Spartacus, where you have this rebellion by the slaves? And how is the rebellion with the slaves put down? Well, they are crucified. And so the road is lined with crosses. And so here's what we can know from that. We can know from that that when Onesimus left Philemon, he had no intention of ever seeing the city limits of Colossae again. So where are you going to go? Well, he decides to go to Rome because Rome is a city of one million souls. And no doubt, 
<clears throat> no doubt Onesimus thought, if I can get to Rome, I can just get lost. I can get lost in that teeming underbelly of the ignored and the forgotten, the refuse of the city. I can just blend in and nobody, nobody will ever find me at all. And evidently, to finance his journey, he steals from his master. And so he must have been close enough to the household that he could do that, but somehow he steals from his, <clears throat> from his master to finance because it's a thousand-mile journey. So he's got a long way to go. He's got to have some money to get there. And so Paul, Paul references that in verse 18 and says, look, if he's done you wrong or owes you anything, just, just charge that to me. But really it's not if. Literally it's since. Since he owes you. Since he owes you. And so he stole evidently from his master to finance his journey. But now here's the interesting part of the story. He arrives in Rome, no doubt, hoping just to get lost in the, in the city. But somehow, some way, we don't know how. But somehow, through clearly the providence of God, Onesimus meets the Apostle Paul. And he learns of a freedom in Christ that can be his. And somewhere along the line in that process, he became a Christian. He was baptized. And now, Paul would say, he began to live up to his name. He began to be a useful person in the kingdom of God and to Paul. But now here's another part of the story. We don't know how this happened. Somehow, Paul learns that he's a runaway slave. And <clears throat> we don't know how that happened either. Maybe one night and Paul was doing some teaching and they were talking about things. Maybe, maybe just in a moment of, 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 of honesty and emotion, maybe Onesimus just said, you know, Paul, there's something about me you don't know and you need to know. And maybe just confessed. Or maybe it was recognition. Maybe there were people from Colossae who came to see Paul to check on him. And when they were checking on Paul, they recognized and saw Onesimus and maybe took Paul aside and said, hey, look, you, you need to know something, man. Your friend Philemon, that's one of his slaves that escaped and ran away. We, we don't know. We don't know. But somehow Paul learned of Onesimus' background. And you can just imagine how the conversation went, where Paul, Paul would say, listen, Onesimus, you've got to go home. You, you've got to make this right. Brothers cannot be estranged from each other. And you can imagine that instantaneously Onesimus would have said, Paul, I can't go home. You know exactly what will happen if I go home. I will either be beaten or disfigured or crucified, but I cannot go home. A runaway slave could not go back. And you can imagine then that Paul says, I'll write a letter for you. I know Philemon. And I'll write a letter and I think it would be okay. And that letter, ladies and gentlemen, is preserved for us as the book of Philemon. And it's designed to teach us, among other things, and it teaches a lot of things, but it's designed to teach us, among other things, about how to deal with spiritual runaways. Now, running away is, at times, a universal inclination, isn't it? Everybody thinks about running away from time to time. If you've ever had teenagers, maybe your teenager at some point in time said, I tell you what, when I'm 18 years old, I'm out of here. They just, they want to run away. But I tell you what, you know what teenagers don't know? Their parents think about running away from them too. It goes, it goes in both directions. We all think about running away. I love this statement out of the Psalms where David said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. That must have been a really bad day at the palace. And we've all thought about that. I mean, there are times that I've thought about going down to the airport in Tampa and putting my credit card on the counter and say, look, I don't care where the next plane's going. Doesn't really matter. Just want to go. Just want to go and get away. Vic, my wife, Vicky, probably feels that way twice a week. And uh, we, all, we all feel like that, I think, from, from time to time. But here's our point this morning. Spiritually, there have always been and there always will be spiritual runaways. We need to understand that spiritually there have always been and there always will be a host of runaways and churches and the Christians who compose them should have some idea as to how to deal with the spiritual runaways. And so if I could take just the minutes that we have left, I want to talk about that for just a minute. And so let me talk about 
Let me talk about the characters here for just a minute, if I may. Let me deal first of all with Paul. <clears throat> Paul begins with a request, not an ultimatum. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Here's what he said. He said, I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do what is fitting. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. And so Paul says, I could command you. I could just issue an apostolic command as to what you have to do. But he said, I'd rather just appeal to you. Here's another translation of that. Although in Christ, I could be very bold to order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Why didn't Paul just, just issue an apostolic order? He said, I could do that. So why doesn't he do that? Let me tell you a couple of reasons for that, I think. Number one is that authenticity, not authority. Authenticity, not authority, is the source of genuine leadership. You know what I mean by that? John Maxwell, who's written so many leadership books, defines leadership, and he says leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. I think he's right about that. And Paul says, look, I could order you. I could order you to do that. But I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul had influence with Philemon. Not because he could just order him, but because Philemon had seen Paul live his faith. And so when Paul describes their relationship in verses 3 through 7, Philemon knew that Paul was telling the truth about that. He had influence with him because of the way that he had lived. But I tell you, the other reason is that love, not compulsion, is the source of genuine forgiveness. Love, not compulsion, is the source of genuine forgiveness. Forgiveness, true genuine forgiveness, does not spring from an order to forgive. Right? If you've had... If you've had two kids uh, growing up together, <clears throat> you can probably remember a time when those two kids may have been fighting with each other and just really at odds with each other. And you kind of go in and you deduce probably who's at the fault here. And maybe you separated them and you said, you said to the one, the one who had, as at fault, you said, tell your brother you're sorry. Tell your brother you're sorry. And so he said, I'm sorry. How sincere was that? Well, not very. I mean, that was an order. I can order you to forgive. Well, you know, that's probably, probably not the most uh, sincere thing that's ever going to happen. And so Paul makes an appeal. Although in Christ I could be bold to order you what to do, he said, I want to appeal to you. And it's based on Philemon's character as applauded by Paul in verses 3 through 7. And then in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. And in the verses that are going to follow, Paul will set forth a very radical formula for dealing with runaways. Listen to what I'm saying. What Paul will teach us this morning is a radical formula for dealing with spiritual runaways. That's the big picture here. This book is not preserved, this letter is not preserved so that we know how to deal with runaway slaves, right? Because that's not our world. That's not our issue. It's here to tell us how to deal with spiritual runaways. With people who leave the Lord. Who leave us and leave the Lord. In this story, everybody knows what should be done. He should be branded. He should be beaten. He should be crucified. But this story is about what needs to be done. And so... That brings us, secondly, then to Philemon. And so when Philemon receives this letter and he begins to scan it a little bit and gets the idea that Paul wants him to receive this, this slave back and receive him, Paul's language was, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother. You've got to know the first question that entered Philemon's mind is, why on earth would I ever do that? Why would I do that? I mean, he's got to be thinking, before he reads this carefully, he's got to be thinking, look, Paul, can you imagine if I do that, how, how my other slaves are going, to, are going to be emboldened to do exactly what he's done? Can you imagine what the other slave owners are going to think of me and how weak and pathetic I'm going to look in front of them? Why would I ever want to do that? But I think when Philemon went back and read the letter carefully, <clears throat> there was good reason for him to do it. And so I want you to consider with me what, what Paul says to Philemon about why he should receive him back. But again, remember the big picture. 
He's talking to you and me 2,000 years later about spiritual runaways. And here's what Paul says. Number one, he says he's changed. He says, Philemon, Onesimus has changed. And so, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten in my chains. He was once unprofitable, but now he is profitable. Or as the newer translations say, I appeal to you for Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but he has become useful both to you and to me. And the point of that, whatever translation you have, the point of that is that Onesimus has changed. Once he became a Christian, his character changed. I want you to notice something, ladies and gentlemen. Paul doesn't make any excuses for Onesimus. He doesn't try to mitigate the wrong that he has done. Paul does not say about him, look, Philemon, he got a bad rap, or there were extenuating circumstances, or he was a victim of his circumstances. He doesn't say that at all. He's very honest about that. He said, Philemon, I know, he was useless. He was absolutely useless. I know that. He acknowledges that. But here's the point. Now he is useful. And the point is, ladies and gentlemen, thank God we can change. Because all of us at some point in time have run away from God. All of us at some point in time, like Peter, have warmed our hands at the enemy's fire. The New Testament does not say, the New Testament doesn't say, look, you need to ignore your past, run from your past, deny your past. It doesn't say that. The New Testament says that you need to face your past, acknowledge your past, repent of your past, and then, like Onesimus, prove that you have changed by bringing forth the fruits worthy of repentance. And so Paul begins right there, and he says Onesimus has changed. Secondly, secondly, God was concerned about him. Look at verses 15 and 16. Perhaps he departed from you for a while for this very reason, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I want you to look at the open phrase. Maybe he departed from you for a while for this very purpose. And what Paul is saying in that is, look, Philemon, you've just got to believe that God's hand was in this. Now, Paul seems uncertain about how God's providence worked out exactly in this, in this matter, just like I think we need to be careful about that. I mean, we all do that. I know, I do that. Sometimes things will fall into line in a certain way, and I'll say, well, that must be the providence of God. Surely that was the providence of God. But we need to be a little bit careful about that. Even Paul in this circumstance says, you know, maybe, maybe this was just God's handiwork in all of this. But clearly God must have been involved. I mean, think about it. Was it just a coincidence that Onesimus goes to Rome, a city of one million people and just happens to get introduced to the apostle paul i mean clearly clearly there's the handiwork of god involved in this somewhere what does that teach us don't miss this ladies and gentlemen it teaches us that spiritual runaways may leave our sight but they never leave god's sight and could i just say if we don't get anything else this morning let's just get this let's get this for sure that spiritual runaways may leave our sight, but they never leave God's sight. We can withdraw our fellowship. And there are circumstances where we are under obligation of God to do that very thing, to try to claim and save a soul. We can remove individuals from our directory, from our picture boards, and yet God never stops loving them. The quintessential example of that in the New Testament is Luke 15 in the parable that Jesus told of the about the father of the prodigal son. And in Jesus' imagery in that story, it, however long that boy had been gone, and clearly it had been a little while, the father clearly is still looking for his son. The tragic part of that story, the tragic part in Luke 15, is the elder brother who says, you know what, I refuse to share my father's heart toward one that was lost. God was concerned about him. Third, Paul argues third to Philemon, look, he's a brother now. His status has changed. His status has changed. Now, it's interesting that he's still a slave because Paul sends him back. This is the right thing to do. You're a runaway slave. With, you know, whatever we think about slavery, and we, you know, that, thankfully that institution in our nation went away. But Paul says, look, here's the circumstance. You owe an obligation to this man. And so while he is still a slave, he is more than that now. 
no longer as a slave. I want you to receive him back. No longer just as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother to me and, he says, to you. You know, we have often said in our fellowship in Churches of Christ that the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. That all men stand equal at the foot of the cross. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to Philemon. I mean, think about it. To most individuals, <clears throat> to most individuals, this little letter is a letter from a Jewish rabbi to a Gentile businessman about a runaway slave. But to the Apostle Paul, this is a letter from a brother to a brother about a brother. And it doesn't mean that those former relationships are no longer there. You know, it, it doesn't mean that, <clears throat> that those former things are still there. You know, Paul, in fact, was a Jewish rabbi. He's writing to a Gentile businessman, and he's writing about a runaway slave. But Paul is writing and saying, in Christ, there is a bigger picture. This is a letter from a brother to a brother about a brother. And let me tell you something very clearly this morning. In a society where there were 60 million slaves in the Mediterranean Rim, it would have been much easier for Philemon to just let Onesimus go free than to treat him as an equal brother in Christ. It would have been much easier for Philemon to read this letter and just look at Onesimus and say, Onesimus, go on, you're free to go, get out of here. Much easier to do that than to treat him as an equal brother in the kingdom of God. Why is that? Well, because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, sometimes it's easier to be kind as long as, as, long as people will just stay where we think they belong. I'll give you a great illustration. Of this absolutely true story. <clears throat> in one of the churches in the Metroplex, 120 miles from here, there was a gentleman who was making a presentation about some mission work that he had done in another part of the world. And he was showing some slides. And he was showing some slides of some folks being baptized. And the folks being baptized had a different skin color than virtually everybody else in that audience that day. And there was a lady in the audience when, when he was showing these slides of people being baptized who leaned over to the lady sitting next to her and she said these words, I wish they wouldn't put the pictures of those people on the board. I just don't like the thought of being, them being with me in heaven. And I've got to tell you, when I heard that, I thought, you know what, I don't think she's going to have to worry about it. It would have been easier for Philemon to just say to Onesimus, go on, get out of here, you're free. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to deal with you anymore than to do what Paul was asking him to do. Paul's asking him to treat him as a brother. Did you notice when we read this little book <clears throat> how many descriptors of Christians that Paul uses? I, I've got a series that I preach out of this little book of Philemon. I've got four lessons that I preach out of this little bitty book. And in one of them, I just talk about the descriptors that Paul uses for our relationships that we have in Christ. And we talked last night about being members one of another. In this little book, Paul speaks of brothers and sisters, fellow prisoners, friends, fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, father and son, and partners. Remember we said at the beginning that Christians define relationships different than people in the world. That's the way that Paul describes that. And then Paul says to Philemon, I want you to receive him back. I'll cover his debts. There's an outstanding matter here. Philemon's objection might have been, Paul, he owes me money. He owes me money. And I tell you, it's interesting among brethren. That can be a really pretty sticky matter. <clears throat> but I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 18. If he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention, however, that you owe me even your own self besides, which seems to me like he just mentioned it. I mean, maybe I'm missing something there, but it sure seems like he's saying, by the way, I'm not going to mention this, but you, well, you just did. And he's saying, look, we all owe each other something, and we all owe a debt to our Lord. 
And so Paul reminds Philemon of his past indebtedness. What does that have to do with spiritual runaways? Just this, ladies and gentlemen. There is a direct correlation between your ability to forgive and your ability to recall your past indebtedness. That's what Paul says to Philemon. Yes, he stole from you. I'll pay for it. But remember, you owe me something. We all owe each other something. When it comes to spiritual runaways, it's imperative to remember that there is a direct relationship between our ability to forgive and our ability to recall our past indebtedness. If you want an illustration of that, just jot down. We don't have time to read it this morning. Just jot down Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verses 23 and following. There's a long story that Jesus tells there about a man who had two debtors. And one of them, neither one of them had anything to pay. And uh, he freely forgave one of them. And that man went out and found a debtor who owed him a pittance compared to what he had been forgiven. And the man said the same words that he had said to his master. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't hear of it. Wouldn't hear of it. Uh, I'm going I'm to put you in prison. I'm going to sell your family. And we're, we're going to... And Jesus looks at that and he says, you know, here's the problem. If you don't appreciate your indebtedness that has been forgiven, you'll never forget about this as you should. There's a reason why we sing in our churches, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. And so Paul says, I will cover his debts. And then fifth, he says, Philemon, I'm, I'm coming to see you. Did you notice that when we read this? That in verse 22, he says, hey, one, one more thing, Philemon. Um, prepare your guest room for me. <clears throat> I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And so Paul says, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming to see you. Now, here's the point of that. The implication of that clearly is, I'm coming to see you. And we're going to talk about <clears throat> how this matter has been resolved. In essence, he's saying, you know, Philemon, I'm going to come and see you, and we're going to talk about whether or not these principles of Christianity, the real true principles of Christianity, grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, whether or not you put them into practice in this matter. I'll tell you something that illustrates, ladies and gentlemen. It illustrates that there is an accountability that we have to each other in matters that affect the well-being of the entire body. Because this had the, the ability to impact the church in Colossae that met in his house. And so Paul says, I'm going to come. I'm going to see you. We're going to talk. There's an accountability here about how you deal with this. <clears throat> you know, visits, visits often motivate, don't they? When, so, you, I mean, you know, when you've got company coming into your house, what do you do? Well, you kind of pick things up a little bit. When I was, uh, all those years ago, <clears throat> all those years ago, when I, I went to Florida College back in the dark ages. And uh, when, I, when I went to Florida College, my roommate and I, uh, you know, cleanliness was not next to godliness. It was next to impossible. We, uh, we didn't do a very good job with that. In fact, you know, they, <clears throat> they still have at Florida College, they have, they have dorm parents. We had a dorm mother. It, she was a rookie. This was her first year, her first semester. And after the second week, she stopped coming and looking at our room. Because she knew that her life was going to be a lot easier with a lot less anxiety if she just didn't come in there. So she just stopped coming in looking. So we didn't do anything. I mean, it was a mess. It was horrible. I cannot, I cannot believe I lived that way. I mean, I just cannot believe that I, I lived that way. But I did. <clears throat> but in January, the Florida College lectures were coming the first week of February. And my mom called and said, hey, we're coming to see you. So you know what I did? I cleaned up that room. I mean, I cleaned it up from top to bottom. That old line you know about from dust you are to dust you shall return. I mean, we had somebody coming or going under our bed. We couldn't figure it out. But we cleaned up all of that mess because somebody was coming and we were going to be accountable. And when you think about spiritual runaways, ladies and gentlemen, think about this. Our Lord is coming back as well. He's coming back. And there is an accountability. There's an accountability not only for the spiritual runaway, but in many ways there's an accountability just like us in the role of Philemon with what we have done to try to restore the spiritual runaway. There's an accountability that is there. So let me ask you this morning. 
What did Philemon do when Onesimus came back? Have you ever thought about that? What did Philemon do when Onesimus came back? Well, we're not told. We're not told. But I'll tell you what I believe about that. I believe that Philemon did exactly what Paul asked him to do. And here's why. Because I think if he had not done that, what would he have done with the letter? He would have destroyed it. If he wasn't going to do what Paul asked him to do, he would have destroyed that letter so nobody would have ever seen it and known that he had not done what the apostle had, had appealed to him to do. I think the very fact that we have this letter seems to be the Holy Spirit's way of telling us that Philemon received him back as a brother. So, let's end with this today. Let's just kind of wrap this up with a couple of applications for us. I want to talk to you about just a couple of things very, very quickly. Number one, there's a principle here. And it is that restoration is a costly ministry. Restoration of others is a costly thing. It doesn't happen easily. It demands that you, that you try to see both sides. It's just, it's so very important. I was reading, when I was preparing this particular lesson, I, I was reading about uh, a story. I had to go back and find it. I'd, I'd remembered it. It was a story from uh, Drinkwater's play regarding Abraham Lincoln. And there's a scene in that where Abraham Lincoln is talking about, talking about uh, the number of northern casualties in the Civil War uh, vis-a-vis the southern casualties. And there was a woman, and he was lamenting the casualties. And there was a woman who said to him, Mr. President, you must not lament the loss of life in the South. Those lives do not matter like the lives of our Union soldiers. And Lincoln in the play responds to her and says, Madam, the world is larger than your heart. The world is larger than your heart. What an amazing statement that is. And we've got to make sure that our world is larger than just the end of our nose or just the end of where we can see. We've got to have a heart for those who not only we can see and love in our local churches because they are here, but those who are not here, those who are, in fact, the spiritual runaways. Restoration is a costly ministry. Uh, Paul and Onesimus and Philemon, they, they each have to make a sacrifice. Paul, <clears throat> Paul had to sacrifice a worker. He said, I, 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 w- I wanted to keep him with me. What I wanted to do was just stay here and keep him with me. That's what I wanted to do. But he said, I, I couldn't do that without your approval. And so Paul sacrificed a worker. And Onesimus sacrificed a freedom. Again, he didn't want to go back to Colossae. You have to know that. He, had, he was enjoying a freedom that he had probably never known in his life. And so he had to sacrifice freedom to go back to <clears throat> Colossae. And thirdly, Philemon had to sacrifice some influence to do what Paul asked him to do. Because he now, he now had to deal with other slaves that he owned who would be emboldened to run away and think that the same thing would would happen to them, that they could get away with it, in their mind at least. And the slave owners, fellow slave owners, who would see this as a sign of weakness. And so they all had to sacrifice something, something of value. But here's the point. Don't miss this, ladies and gentlemen. I said a minute ago, if you don't get anything else, get this. Well, okay, that, you got that. So let's, let me say it for this one. If you don't get anything else, let's get this right here. All right? So here's the second thing we, we, we really do need to, to get. Is our heart for the lost as large as the heart of God? I think the book of Philemon is begging that question to us. Is our heart for the lost, for the spiritual runaway, for those who have left the Lord, for those who have left our church families, is our heart for them as large as the heart of God? Now, if it is, then we've got to do two things. If our heart for the lost is as large as the heart of God, we've got to do two things. Number one, we've got to ask God to help us find the runaways. We've got to ask God to help us find the runaways. Because He knows where they are. And He hasn't given up on them. And we must not either. So let me ask you something. Is there a young person who grew up in this church who is no longer here? And it's not because they've moved to another part of the country and they're serving God as they work elsewhere. Or it's not because they've gotten married and moved away and and they and their, their spouse are worshiping God faithfully somewhere else. Is there a young person who grew up in this church and they are not here because they have walked away from God, because they have left the Lord? 
Or is there a friend that you have, a friend that you have shared fellowship with in this church, and they are no longer here? And again, it's because they have walked away, walked away from the Lord. Or is there a member of your family, a member of your family that you love dearly, and you used to worship together in this church family or another church family, but now they have walked away from the Lord? See, the question is, can God count on our cooperation in helping to restore them? And so we need to ask God to help us find those runaways. And then secondly, we've got to ask God to help us have hearts of forgiveness. We've got to help God, ask God to help us do the hard work, the hard work of forgiveness. You know, I wonder sometimes in how many of our churches... <clears throat> A spiritual runaway can actually can actually come home and make a make kind of a full and free confession. Whether that's a confession of of greed or of lust or of addiction or whatever it may be. I wonder sometimes if spiritual runaways are afraid that that they'll come back and they'll get forgiveness in the judicial sense, but not in the relational sense. That they'll get the official prayer, but but then they'll kind of be held at arm's length or put on spiritual probation. When Paul wrote the church at Colossae that we read from a moment ago, and this letter was read in Philemon's house, when the church met in his house, and there was a reader who would read the letter to the church that met in his house, and Philemon would be there, and Onesimus would be there. Listen to, <clears throat> listen to some of the words that they would hear. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive, even as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, ladies and gentlemen, Philemon would have heard those words. And the question is, will we live those words? So here's what I'd like for us to do as we close this morning. We close these morning services, of course, with a prayer. And that's what we're going to do in just a second. We're going to pray together. But I want to ask you to do something as we pray. I want to ask you this morning as we pray, I want to ask you to think about, to think about that person that maybe you've not thought of in a while. Because they've just not been among you for a while. But you remember them. And again, maybe that's a young person, maybe that's a friend of yours, maybe it's a family member. But they've left the Lord. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe they've hurt the Lord. Maybe they hurt this church. Maybe they've hurt you. Could you remember this morning that God misses them? And could you ask God to help you find them? And could you ask God to help you restore them? And then ask God to help you have a heart of forgiveness like he has. Let's pray that prayer and then we'll be dismissed this morning. Our good Father, we are grateful beyond words that when we were spiritual runaways, when we were not living as we should and when we before you were separated, we are grateful, dear God, that you loved us still, that you commended your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And we hear the words of John echo in our ears that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so he reminds us that we need your forgiveness renewed. And we are grateful, as the prophet would say, that you renew your mercies to us fresh every day. How do we thank you, dear God, for this amazing grace? But we all know, Father, individuals in our lives, people that we love and care about, who have run fast and far and hard away from you and from your Son. 
who have left you, the Father, and Jesus, our elder brother, and who have left their church family. And those individuals, Father, are still in our hearts. And so in the quietude of our heart right now, we, we bring their names before you. And we ask you, Father, to be your instrument. We pray that you will help us, Father, to find them, to cross paths with them, to have the love and both the courage to reach out to them, and to do our best, Father, to bring them home. And we pray that we will have hearts of forgiveness, such a difficult thing sometimes for human beings to do. But help us to remember the words of your Son, that if we do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will you, our Heavenly Father, forgive us. And so we pray that you will help us to have hearts that will match the heart of you, our Father. We pray, Holy God, these things because we care about souls just as you've cared about us. And so today, Father, we pray that as we talked yesterday morning, that you would help us to find and identify our place, our role, our niche in the kingdom of God. We pray that you'll help us to have open hearts toward others. And we pray that as we combine those two, that we will live today in such a way that it will make a difference for good and a difference for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.